Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs, like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made with pure malt and their famous A-yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Been a lot of sports on the past couple months. I've loved watching it and drinking Heineken. Had some folks over in the backyard, uh, socially distant NBA game watching parties. We've been drinking Heineken the entire time. Pick up a pack or have it delivered today and drink responsibly. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Great show today. Two different segments. First of all, we have Malay Rubin, Nora Princiati, and I with Ravens and Texans coming up this week, talking about Lamar Jackson, young quarterbacks in the NFL, talk about Deshaun Watson, obviously, where he fits, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. Just a, a good, fun discussion about not only the Ravens, but just sort of the state of the young quarterbacks in a year where that seems to be more important maybe than any time ever. If you look at some of the stats that we'll get to in a second. And then Joe Buck, Fox broadcaster, joins us for a an extended version of the conversation I had with him on Slow News Day, the video series we do. Uh, you can find the entire episode on YouTube, on the Ringer's YouTube channel, which got some really good NBA content uh, this month and every month and movie stuff and obviously football stuff. So uh, watch Slow News Day on YouTube, subscribe to the Ringer YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, listen to Joe Buck at the end of this show. All right, let's get to it. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by an all-star cast, Nora Princiati. How are we doing? I'm doing great. Uh, our, our other, the other person who's joining us is really pumping me up right now. She's like, she's fist pumping. Arms. Mother of dragons, mother of ravens, Mallory Rubin. It is her birthday. Any good gifts? Oh boy. Uh, wow, Kev. Any good gifts? The gift of being here with both of you today. Yep. For starters. That's why we did Mary. it. We wouldn't. Mm, this is not a. Nor- this will not be a regular thing. This Have you ever watched the, the Legends of Korra? The Legend of Korra? No? I got I a, 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 plush, a plush Pabu from Adam, my husband. And uh, that, that was lovely. a great birthday gift. Yeah, it was lovely. What, can Thank can you. you explain that to me? Like, hypothetically, if someone had no idea what you were talking about? Sure. So as if you would explain it to a third grader. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you, Nora. This will be quick. You should watch. Avatar The Last Airbender, you should watch Korra. And in the process of watching those two wonderful shows, you'll meet some great creatures like Momo and Pabu. Pabu is a fire ferret, and now he's with me always. Pabu is also the name of a sushi restaurant in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you, is what we're week saying. Two of the NFL season. Let's go. You're missing out, Kev. Week two. I'm you're missing on out. The sushi or whatever you're talking about. Legend of Korra, check it out. All right. We're talking football. We're talking young quarterbacks. Here's the thing. So week one, the NFL season, 87 offensive touchdowns, most in history. That is linked to another statistic, which is there were 14 starters under the age of 27, the second most in history behind 2013, a group that we know included 
stars like Andrew Luck, RG3, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson. But I also looked it up. Terrell Pryor started that week. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, do, I just do not remember much of that experience. And then Geno Smith, EJ Manuel. So it was it was a, a mixed bag to be sure. But the fact that there is, I, and I know that every year we do this thing, you're the young quarterback, you're the quarterback. I mean, just since 2011, when, when passing numbers started to, to tick up, that seems to be the general theme. But this is real. This is a bunch of young quarterbacks who are better than any group of young quarterbacks, maybe ever. And, and I wanted to unpack that with you, Mallory Rubin, and you, Nora, because this is an interesting stretch next couple of weeks. Can I ask you a question? This is yeah. important. When did you make the transition to holding your podcast mic in your hand? Thank you. Uh, Someone needed wife, to say it. My wife is recording a video two rooms over in the nor- room I normally do it in. And so yeah. I am sitting in a bed. Okay. All right. So okay, this, is, this is me not having a table in front of me. What about a pillow this is desk? Not, this is not how I saw myself, how my career ending up. You don't have a pillow desk? What's a, do you have a pillow desk? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I spend most of my time in bed or on the couch. So, of course, okay. I have a pillow desk. This is new for me. I don't think I've ever done a podcast from a bed. Remember those commercials for, you know, a Tempur-Pedic mattress where they would have the wine glass on the mattress and it would not Absolutely. spill over? Yeah. Vividly. You could have one of those setups going, Kevin, if you want to make this a recurring thing. I, I will, I'll look into it after this episode. We'll, we'll see how the, the setup works. It's so, so far so good. I feel like we're getting somewhere. All right. So from a narrative perspective and from an entertainment perspective, it's really great for Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson to be in the same stadium. And next week, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes in the same stadium. This stuff right. should excite you as a football fan. And we'll probably see it in the ratings that it does. Lamar Jackson. Uh, Mark Andrews called him the best player in the world this week. There's a really good case to be made that there's there are two best players in the world, and then there's a huge gap to number three. I think we know that Mahomes is, is probably the other one. I think there's, you know, listen, once you start getting a positional value with Aaron Donald, let's, let's do that on another podcast. But right now, there's a real case that Lamar Jackson is playing some special football. He was the highest-graded passer according to positive-graded throws by PFF last week. He completed 90% of his throws 10 yards down the field. He completed about 50% of such passes last year. Um, he looks damn good, and he looks like the the guy that John Harbaugh said he would be in the summer, which is taking the next step and taking advantage of those stretched-out defenses by going with with deep passes, and I'm intrigued by it. Now, again... He did this last year in his first game, and that led to the not bad for running back thing. So we can't overreact. Right. Part of this is that he played the Cleveland Browns. I mean, we, we can't overreact. We'll, we'll get to there in a second. But Mallory, when you yeah. watched this game Sunday, yep. you thought what about Lamar Jackson and his improvement over the offseason? Well, Kev, first of all, thank you for having me today. It's yeah, great to be here with you both uh, to talk about Lamar Jackson, uh, of whom I'm a big fan. I enjoy watching the Ravens. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. It was a fun game. Fun game. I'm glad you mentioned week one last year and the not bad for a running back quote. Absolutely iconic moment. Launched a a legion of merch from that quote alone. And John Eisenberg wrote about this in in his column this week. The contrast in the press conference from not bad for a running back last year to Mm -hmm. this year after week one against the Browns, the questions do you think you've improved it as a passer? And his answer was, I do. And I think things like that are pretty telling. You know, there's there's less of the, 
I mean, I personally, as a Ravens fan, really enjoyed the the chip on the shoulder energy all of last season. Certainly, it was very fun and uh, very validating. But the confidence is, I think, pretty palpable right now. And, you know, the first couple drives, certainly, I think for not just Lamar, but everybody, there was a, a little bit of, um, you know, you could you could see the nerves, you could feel the nerves. And then as soon as he settled in, it was just it just looked easy. It just looked easy. And watching him with the poise and the confidence, the read option when he's rolling out that the, the, for me, like one of the quintessential things that I just love about watching Lamar is those little sidearm darts and the chemistry, yeah. the chemistry with Mark Andrews was there. The chemistry with Hollywood Brown was there. I mean, obviously it, it was fun to see Willie Sneed and yep. Duvernay get in the mix. Obviously great to see uh, the two touchdown debut for JK Dobbins on the on defense. Patrick Queen had just a marvelous debut, but Lamar just looked completely and totally in command. You know, that, that 47 yard, crossing route to Hollywood, I think maybe mm. was more emblematic even than the two Mark Andrews touchdowns of yep. just how completely in command he seemed the entire game. Once again, the entire team kind of got its feet under it after the first couple drives. It was a blast. It was a blast, just like week one last year. Nora, I want to ask you about defenses and specifically the Browns performance last week, and what we can take from that. But I do want to ask Mallory because we're going to ask about defenses catching up to Lamar. Danny Kelly wrote a piece last week called Can Defenses Catch Up with Lamar? Did you assign that piece, Mallory, just to have something to dunk on the entire year? Um, as, I, as I think you know, I support creative exploration here at yeah. The Ringer. Um, and as I think you also know, because I, uh, I shared this with the NFL crew and I tweeted this, the only line of that piece that I took to heart was the, the last one, which was Jackson has a chance to cement himself as the outlier of all outliers. It was a great Perfect. 1500 words that preceded it. A lot of, uh, you know, very hard work and thorough research from Danny Kelly, who I, yep. uh, I admire and respect. And, uh, we the last, him. the last line of the piece was, was the one that stuck with me. Danny Kelly, other outlier of all outliers. Hey, absolutely. Nora, when you're looking at this Browns team, is this going to be every defense? Is it just going to be the Browns defense? And do you think there's, I don't know, we've talked about it all off season about just the inability for teams to get better at anything over the course of this season and catching up with Lamar Jackson over Zoom seems really bad. And I just wonder how much of an opportunity you think defenses will have this year to do such a thing. So do I think there was a little bit of Brownsiness going on? Sure. They lost Grant Delpit. I mean, they, 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 this is a team that is, is a work in progress. And Grant Delpit, I think, was going to be really important to that secondary, sure. which is up a creek a little bit without him. But in yeah. general, I think it's going to be every defense or a lot yeah. of defenses, at least. And the thing that I think is so cool about watching the Ravens is you can go back two years. They lose to the Chargers. Chargers play seven defensive backs in the playoffs. And everybody says, oh, they figured them out. This is how you beat the Ravens. And then they react. They sign Mark Ingram. They have all those tight ends, great offensive line. They say we can go big and we can block so well. I dare you, anyone go that small against us ever again. Yeah. And there's something so simple about that, that I, that I always really enjoyed watching on the field last season. And it's kind of like it's happening again, right? Because they have another disappointing playoff performance and what was perceived as 
the key, the thing that the Titans figured out there was, oh, they got up on them and made their offense one dimensional. So then you have a quote that I thought was really interesting from Hollywood saying that Jackson is not throwing to targets as much as he was. He's throwing to spots. And that kind of subtlety, that kind of nuance, Brown said he's a lot more pinpoint with it. Now it's our job to get to that spot because that's where he's putting it. You see that, you know, you saw that on that deep bomb. You also saw it. I thought the the early touchdown to Andrews was incredible because it's off play action. You just, you one see, he does this little step to the right to, I don't know if it was a sight line thing to be able to see into the end zone better, but it's just this little move that to me, in some ways it looked like watching Tom Brady and the way that he could move around and, and control the pocket, but then he throws it pretty high and Andrews makes an incredible play, but that's the kind of sophistication that I don't know how to tell you how to defend that. There's just no answer for it. So if you add that, it's this new iteration of the Ravens kind of looking at the thing that that is allegedly their kryptonite and going, okay, well, we'll add this other element and be able to beat that now. But the difference is instead of just like bulking up a little bit more, you know, that's on Lamar to develop in this offseason that we've talked about how hard it is to do that. So one, just props to him. But yeah, yeah I don't I don't want to be playing defense against the Ravens. Yeah, no. And, and one of the things is that it's not about Lamar Jackson was an awesome passer last year. This is about very incremental progress and and, and just taking advantage right. of things that he just forces defenses into. And it's a very, very, very um, fine line here between what he was doing last year and this year. It's not a huge difference, just a little bit. And he was very, you know, he was one of the most efficient passers in football last year. Okay. Uh, this is just might be something different. Uh, he said, told reporters this week, the game has slowed a lot, uh, slowed down a lot for him. He said that going against an intricate Baltimore defense, basically all training camp with, with no preseason games and just getting to see that over and over again, helped him as far as, as reading defenses go. And, you know, you heard comments similarly from from Mahomes as well this offseason where uh, they feel like their ability to read defenses has gotten better after they won the MVP in both cases. And that should be terrifying for, for every single defense. Um, Mallory, I want to ask you, and there was a great, I don't know if you saw it, there was, it was a write-up that I, I found really fascinating about. A reporter had asked John Harbaugh if there was a play against the Browns and they said that, you know, do you want Lamar Jackson to run out of bounds instead of taking a hit like this? And John Harbaugh says, right. look who, who, who took the hit on that play that you're talking about. And so the clip, if you look is two Browns players collided mm-hmm. on top of Lamar and Lamar fell to the ground, never took a hit. Okay. So he was running down the field, did not run out of bounds. Two Browns players hurt each other. Lamar never touched anything or he touched somebody very many minimally. And eventually the, uh, you know, it looks like it's, it looks like a pile up, but it really wasn't Lamar doesn't take any, any damage, right? That's emblematic of Lamar and his ability to, uh, to, to evade the big hit. We had something we talked about on Swan Day a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, when he was on. If you look at this offensive style, where do you see it progressing? What do you want to see from them? Do you want to see more passing? Do you want to see passing only to the point that it takes advantage of defenses? How, how much running do you want to see over the next 15 weeks of Ravens football? 
Uh, that's an easy one. I, I want to see whatever is going to lead to a W at the end of the game. And that's that's right. honestly like that's one of the things yeah. that makes the team special is they're talented enough, deep enough and and varied enough to survive one aspect of the gameplay not being there on a given week. And I I, I would like to go back for a second to what both of you were saying, you know, a, a few minutes ago, because I, I just feel compelled as the, the resident Ravens fan to. Uh, echo something that we have all said, I think, quite often. You know, it was uh, the idea that Lamar had to prove that he could throw the football last year was like moronic, right? And the idea that he still has something to prove entering this season is maybe exponentially absurd. It's not necessarily a straw man. It's just the argument of weird Twitter eggs. Or people who who probably people people who should be. (laughs) <laughs> no, not I'm not like last week. I'm just saying I, during the draft process, yeah, and like last year and this year, there's a reason the not bad for running back thing, of course, happened exactly. last year. Yes, and the criticism and was... was real. But I'm saying that if if you're at this point, if you were coming into week one of this season, right, and being like, "Wow, this Lamar guy can pass," then right. this is the first time that you've watched football, and you should yes, be judged exactly. Accordingly. It's not a revelation that Lamar Jackson can can play every single aspect of the quarterback position at an exceptionally high level. He won the MVP last year. Right. And by the way, he's still only 23 years old. So I think the way you younger you than Joe Kev, Burrow, <laughs> like, like considerably younger than, yeah. than, than Joey Burrow, uh, the way you put it about the incremental progress, it, when, when you're playing at that high of a level, there's of course always still progress to make because you're aiming to win a Super Bowl. That's the goal, right? So right. the run game actually was not really there in in week one in the opener Mm -hmm. you know Lamar had 45 rushing yards seven carries the the team overall did not run particularly well and at the end of the day it didn't matter and I thought that was ultimately quite heartening Um, I do think you know obviously uh, that there's the chance that the run game opens up uh, quite a bit against the Texans I know you want to talk about the the Texans matchup a little bit more Um, CEH shredded them in week one for mm-hmm. for Kansas City in the Thursday night opener. And I think it would be uh, reasonable to assume that Ingram, Dobbins, Gus Bus, Lamar, et cetera, can all get going Gus on the ground. Bus. Gus, Gus Bus. Bus. Love the Gus Bus. I want to see them win how, however we can. I do think it's it's important to get back to the the hardier question to establish more depth at the receiver position. So Hollywood's health, Hollywood Brown's health yep, is the, the single most that, yeah. important thing in that respect. I mean, obviously the connection that Mark Andrews and, and Lamar Jackson have is supreme and he in essence serves as the number one receiver for the team. Whether Hollywood Brown can stay healthy, whether Mark Andrews can stay healthy, that's the single most important thing. And then depth beyond that, I, you know, it was good to see Miles Boykin catch a couple balls. I I was glad to see um Duvernay, who who the Ravens drafted in the third round out of Texas, mm-hmm. out there. Would love to see um Sneed continue to get more involved, yep. see if we can get James Proche out there. Proche is sixth round pick out of SMU and just continue to build depth because there's so much depth in the running game and there hasn't been depth in the receiving game. So that's that's the next step. One quick one for you. Do you see this season? And I'm, there are certain teams who, when they have a playoff failure, mm-hmm. it's not the regular season doesn't matter because obviously there's only so many playoff spots and all that stuff, but just emotionally things matter less because there's only one thing you need to do. I remember talking to actually Jim Harbaugh about this during that 49ers run years ago. He, he compared it to being Sisyphus, right? Like just rolling mm-hmm. the rock up, rock, rock rolls down. And I found that kind of profound. 
I miss Jim Harbaugh in the NFL. But when I think about this Ravens team and almost every every level of of praise we give the Ravens and every time we talk about how Lamar makes everybody look like high schoolers or whatever, like, oh, wait, they kind of laid an egg against the Titans. So just emotionally, as just a fan, as someone who just knows the team really well, do you think there's a feeling that's kind of like, Bleh, like, we'll, we'll see what happens in January? Um, yes and no. You know, I think that anytime you have a difficult playoff loss, as you know, I refuse to acknowledge last year's playoffs in really any capacity. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. That kind of the 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 tenor around the team coming out of that loss was so so dark that that kind of toxicity yeah. I think can seep into the next season and derail the entire thing. And I think it's important that that obviously hasn't been the case. You know, you think back to something like uh, one of my favorite Ravens, Marlon Humphrey, one of my favorite Ravens, a fellow cat lover, as you know, shouts to Snowflake. And I did I did not know that actually. I'm glad you're here. What? Snowflake. I didn't Wait. know that. No, I didn't know that. Oh my God, Kevin, you have to go to Instagram after you finish okay. recording this podcast and check out Snowflake's Instagram. Oh, I'm following right Dude, now. You're actually like this is like a Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard thing and, I've, and they say it 20 times a game. I, I didn't know this. To me, this should, is more I mean, important should. than that. They yeah. should, yes. <laughs> a lot of people great go cat, to Harvard. Great Instagram. How many truly love cats? Well, we don't have to get into that now. A lot of people love yeah. cats. Cats are great. No, I'm, yeah, saying, anyway. no, I'm saying it's it's easy to go to Harvard. It's harder to love a cat. It's it's easy to love cats. Open your heart, Kev. That's my advice to you. Anyway, you know, if you think back to like Marlon Humphrey's comments after that loss, you know, this yeah. team's identity right now is to get to the playoffs and choke. That was rough stuff. And I think that everybody that was who was a part of the organization really felt that way. So there's yeah. no doubt that that will be, a, I think, persistent narrative around the team the entire season. And obviously, if and when they're in the playoffs, it will be the narrative. But I I, I don't, focus on that i focus on how well coached they are and how talented they are and i trust harbaugh and DaCosta and the analytically inclined coaching staff and scouting division to get them ready to play and to get better every week i don't think they're complacent and i think ultimately that's the one good thing about playoff losses like that is they keep you frosty you know there's not a lot of hubris with this team right now they have simultaneously the knowledge that they're an excellent football team and the need to prove themselves. And I think that that's actually that, that ladder camp is actually where the Ravens have always been a little more, a little bit more comfortable, that underdog mm -hmm. energy. And so being a team that's capable of going 14 and two and still being able to channel that we have something to prove and fuck everybody else mindset. I'm into that. So when Lamar was on Slow Newsday a couple of, of weeks ago or months ago, he said that he taught thinks thinks was, about the Tennessee was Lamar. Game. Was Lamar on Slow News Day? You haven't. He I missed that. Couple, mentioned couple that. I never week, saw couple, it. A couple wow. of weeks or months ago. Oh. I don't remember. It was during. The, Mallory, it was during we'll have COVID. to go check it out. It was. Uh, so it was Slow News Day, which is a video series we do on The Ringer. Um, mm -hmm. It's available on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And Twitter. yeah. 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 So Lamar Jackson was actually on it. And um, when we were talking, him and I, because I'm the host of Slow News Day. So him and I. <laughs> Uh, a couple of weeks ago on Slow News Day, we're talking. Uh, okay. I actually don't think this made the cut, and we were going to make it a second thing. And it, there's whatever. so much but good content that, that gets left on the cutting room floor for Slow no, News. No, it was day. audio so problem. Tough. And and Jason and I had a had a real long talk about it. Jason Gallagher and I had a real long talk about it. But because you don't know. have anyway, a pillow desk, it's because I don't have a pillow desk. Um, see, that was that was filmed in in the living room where I can't be right now. So there's your problem. Okay, so. Lamar basically said anytime he posts anything online, 
mm-hmm. or does anything that involves the general public, he just gets bombarded with with t- Titans memes. And the, he he would think about it every day if he didn't get that, but that also kind of... Sh- that also kind of just shaded his off season. It's just like any time it was just like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm at my house. People just be mm-hmm. like, Hey, nice playoff game, bro. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that motivated them. And I think that there's a thing again, it's the Sisyphus thing, right? Where I think that there's a way to look at this and you can become a little broken because you start convincing yourself that, that you are a loser, right? Or you become your hard worker and you, you use it as fuel. And when in talking to not just Lamar, but a number of Ravens, like, I kind of feel like that, that it almost in a weird way is going to help them in the long yeah. run to have lost the Titans and, and use it. You know, I remember uh, I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago, Michael Lewis was on and he was talking about how just basically the stories you tell yourself about yourself are what you end up being like the, the narratives become your identity essentially. And I think that that's really true of sports teams. And so I, I think that oftentimes we overrate one loss or, you know, right now we're doing that with the Clippers, right? Across all media and, and just kind of overstating what it might mean. But there's also the chance that some things are just so sports traumatizing that they can derail everything. And with Baltimore, I think it's a really interesting test case and it doesn't look like they've lost anything. If anything, they're significantly better. Nora, the Ravens have the Texans this week. Bill O'Brien said, quote, it didn't go very well for us last time. They lost 41 to seven. <laughs> I like. I'm kind of coming around on Bill O'Brien. Like I think he's he's deadpan. He's trading away guys as bits. Like I just think this is a very funny, a very funny situation. (laughs) Yeah, love to trade DeAndre Hopkins as a bit. This is a a Texans question, but also just a general NFL question. When a team like the Ravens goes up against a pretty good team like Houston, um, is there is there anything there, Nora? What are you expecting out of this game in Houston? By the way, I. I'm not optimistic for the Houston Texans, unfortunately. I would love it if this were, I mean, you know, we all want competitive games, right? The ultimate bit is the NFL putting Houston against Mahomes and Lamar back to back to start the season in a season where Bill O'Brien has so much at stake. Well, and then we get, we get Lamar Mahomes in week three. So we're getting the the whole rotation. That part's The round robin. Yeah, yeah, but they'll both be two and zero by that. No one's getting fired in those cities. (laughs) Bill O'Brien's going to be coaching Miami next year. Oh, the Hurricanes, boy. not the Dolphins. The thing that's that can be frustrating about the Texans is that we've talked about, you know, when you're good, breaks go your way because you're already good, because people are in a good mood, because free agents want to come to you, whatever. And it seems like what we're watching is two teams that have really taken advantage of that. And then another team that has an incredible young quarterback that just hasn't. And the thing that stood out to me watching the Texans in week one was just they had no chemistry. And mm-hmm. once they got off their scripted plays, I mean, that was their only good drive until garbage time, basically. And if it gets disjointed once you're off the script, that to me just says that they're working with some new players that aren't up to speed with Watson yet. And that's really to be expected in, in some ways because of the way that this offseason went, but it's also a product of the fact that they haven't had a lot of stability there and that they've had to go through all of these motions and they've had to end up with Brandon Cooks and not DeAndre Hopkins, or I guess they didn't have to, but they did somehow. Uh, 
And we've talked about that ad nauseum, Class, so we don't need to get into it up. again. Enter, entering classic an offseason without up. DeAndre Hopkins. Entering, <laughs> Through an unfortunate me, cla- sequence yeah, of events. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oops. And so it just seems like there's this road not traveled for Houston where I'm so sort of sad that we don't get to see it because I love Deshaun Watson so much, but they just looked like they'd never played with each other before a lot of yeah. the time. And well, yeah. it was seven net yards per play in the first quarter. And then 4.5 in the second and third. And the fourth was weird because they were behind and just throwing it. But that's a bummer. And it's a bummer in the same way that when we look at, you know, Kansas City adding Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and going, holy smokes, this incredible offense yeah. just got another playmaker. This is freaking awesome. And Ravens he can go adding and, Patrick Queen. Right. And like the Chiefs can have an average depth of target of like five and they yeah. still crush and they look so competent and so crisp and and they've got it all together and Andy Reid's like encompassed in fog he is not by the way he has not announced what his shield will look like this week Andy Reid was he's keeping that in-house I'm glad we're talking about that and while I'm sure he probably wants to come up with a different something beyond the steam room um (laughs) Good for Andy Reid. Like the league had to reprimand a what? few of these coaches for, oh, for yeah, playing yeah, yeah. it fast and loose with the face covering. So just, you know, Andy Reid's one of the older coaches taking in it the seriously. league. And he's taking it seriously. So, you know, shout out to my guy who also I have to imagine has a very like nice skin situation going on because he got all that moisture. <laughs> The Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. By now, you've probably heard about FanDuel Sportsbook's world-class sports betting app. FanDuel makes it easy to find and place your bets. They've got some of the best odds you'll find anywhere, and they even get your winnings in as little as 24 hours. There's a lot of reasons to try FanDuel Sportsbook, but here's more. Right now, new users can place their first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free and get up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. Seriously, there's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want. If you win, you get to keep the cash. If you lose, you get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. Producer Isaiah just told me that he got all of his picks correct in the Ringer Mega Contest. He should be making these picks. But I do like the Cowboys, uh, four and a half point favorites over the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons played a very strange defensive game last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I think that the Cowboys are a better team than they showed last week. And I expect them to bounce back at home. I want to talk about FanDuel's football double-up always-on promotion available to all customers. You place a pregame Moneyline wager, and if your team scores 35 or more points, you double your earnings. Max bonus, $50 in site credit, one eligible wager per person. If you're ready to bet on the NFL this football season, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and be sure to sign up with promo code RINGERNFL so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code RINGERNFL. 21 and up and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. So... Let's switch gears to another young quarterback, Kyler Murray, but I do want to share two more notes that just blew me away. Number one, Lamar Jackson, last eight regular season games, according to Andrew Siciliano. Do you know what his touchdown interception ratio is, Mallory? Pretty good, Kev. It's got to be pretty good. 27 to one. Yeah, (gasps) it's good. 
That's pretty good. So this it kind of goes again. That's again. This goes to our argument that this is not an overnight thing. Oh, whoa! Look at this guy passing. Like Lamar so Jackson is is amazing. Um, and then watch the some Louisville ones, tape, this man. Is, this is via PFF. He won the Heisman. This is via PFF that he. So when he's pressured under two seconds, it basically means it's a blown play and and it's over. Non Lamar quarterbacks have a forty two percent completion percentage in that spot. Lamar completed all four of his passes in that spot on Sunday. This is just. He's just doing stuff. That's the thing that's funny about this conversation is that we're sort of going through the motions of making sure that we're talking about Lamar being an improved passer without making it sound Mm -hmm. like he wasn't already an incredible passer, which is a little bit more of a thing that you have to dance around when he's going nine of 10 on passes, 10 yards or more, 10 of 10 on play action. Like, these are not normal numbers for an NFL court. Right, Right, exactly. But both of these guys... Are, are on the same plane, which is just, you can't say they're amazing. You just have to keep saying they're more amazing. Like, oh, they got, he got, he got, they, they're, at some point, there's stuff being words for them. And so we just say, oh, wow, this guy got better. I sort of think he is more amazing now, though. Yeah. No, he is. That's what I'm saying. Mallory, Mallory's saying it. All right, let's do Kyler real quick. Mallory Rubin, you're a college football What's fan. What's up, man? Kyler. Sure do. Big baseball fan, you know? Love. Love thinking about that alternate future. <laughs> you love his, Could you imagine him playing in a, a canceled minor league ballpark this year? That would be that would be terrible. That would be what terrible. What was that? What was that? Was that year where he was like, oh, he's going to go play for the A's? The A's didn't even didn't the A's not even pay their minor leaguers for a couple months? Kev, baseball's a mess. I'm not sure if you know this. You briefly right. said that you were going to become a baseball fan this year. I think it was the same moment that they announced 16 playoff teams. I briefly said a lot of things in the last eight months. Uh, our our colleague Ryan Shazier, who put he and Cole Wright had a very good podcast on Tuesday. Um, I'm really uh, excited to have that on the feed. Uh, Cole, Ryan, and producer Isaiah, who's also producing this show, Jaguar Superfan Isaiah Blakely, uh, just an awesome show. But he said he Ryan Shazier said he would not be surprised if Kyler Murray won the MVP. This is something Nora, you and I have talked about, where I thought he he'd be in the mix to play like an MVP, but that team wouldn't be good enough. I don't know after one week. Let's not overreact again. But damn, Kyler Murray looks really good. And Mallory, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. start you off here. Uh, surprised at at the, the level of play week one for him this year? And do you think that we're looking at somebody who can be an elite quarterback in 2020? First of all, um, I'm sorry to have to tell you and Nora both that Isaiah has informed me he is not going to edit and post this episode in protest because when he heard we were talking about young quarterbacks, he thought it was a Minchimania episode. And uh, he's just, he's very mad at you. We talked about Minchu on Sunday night. Every podcast where Kevin has the mustache is a Minchu mania. That's true. Thank you. It's a great point. point. That's a great point. You're right. Great, great, great point. Just a consistent way of honoring (laughs) Minchu mania. I love Kyler. Big fan, Kev. Have been uh, really back since he was in high school and was originally recruited, you know, back in the old A and M days <laughs> that everybody. Oh, and we should note with the Washington football team coming up on the schedule this week for the Cardinals. That's right. Uh, Kyle Allen, Kyle Allen, who beat him out tough. at A and M, is playing the role of Kyler Murray. If you would stop time. You've done the Zach Morris thing. Come up to Kyle Allen after he wins the quarterback competition against Kyler Murray and said, in a few years, you're going to be a backup on a team without a name. 
and you're going to be playing the role of the guy who you just beat out, who went on to be the number one overall pick, he'd have some follow-up questions. Yeah. That's a rough one. one. That's a rough one. Less rough for Kyler, obviously. I mean, yes. great opening. I No, I'm not surprised to answer your question. I think that the surprising element of the week one performance came on the on the San Francisco side, not on the, not on the Arizona side. Um, you know, I think that the, the, the Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray pairing is one of the single most exciting things in the NFL right now. And you add Deandre Hopkins to that mix. The, the instantaneous chemistry and football harmony that developed between Kyler and and Hopkins was pretty remarkable to see. You know, I think the the question of how uh, Larry Fitz and Christian Kirk and yeah. other members of that offense become more fully uh, incorporated and involved moving forward will be interesting to track. But I think that this, the, the single most important and impressive thing with Kyler in week one, because obviously... Uh, you know, if you're if you're just thinking about like the excitement index in mm-hmm. football and one of the single most thrilling things that you can watch is that moment when Kyler just decides to take off and make yeah. something happen. I mean, he's so dynamic. He's so inventive. Danny Kelly said he runs like an RC car. It's 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 just it's thrilling. It's just thrilling to yeah. watch. But the the single most impressive thing in week one was the fourth quarter, the end of the game, knowing that the win was on the line and he made it happen. I mean, he was seven for nine for 80 yards and, and then 46 rushing yards and a touchdown on top of that on their two fourth quarter scoring drives. I mean, that's a level of maturation and evolution in his game that helps solidify and, and validate the possibility of the conversation around. Can he continue the trend of the second year quarterback winning MVP? Can we go Mahomes, yeah. Lamar, Kyler Murray? Uh, I mean, obviously I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna say Lamar for MVP, but it's not at all a ridiculous thing to me to consider Kyler a part of that conversation if this is what the Cardinals are going to play like. And premature overreactions are part of the fun of this part of the season. Let's lean Absolutely. in. Why not? Absolutely. Nora, you were on you were on a Cardinal Zoom call this morning uh, with Cliff Kingsbury's press conference. What were the expectations that like what was the vibe? I guess we know the vibe generally Cliff is giving. Off, yeah. But <laughs> specifically in regards right. to last Sunday's game and this Sunday's game. How are the Cardinals feeling? Oh, I thought you meant the vibe of Cliff Kingsbury on Zoom. Yeah, how was which that? I will say, me at so me at ten a.m. Mm-hmm. my time because mm-hmm. I'm Eastern time, and Cliff at seven. Um, Cliff was more put together. He was ready to go about his day in a way that I probably hadn't achieved at that point. Um, sometimes you log on to these Zooms with coaches, and and yeah, yeah, like no one's there, or you're looking at a oddly angled video camera or whatever. I click into that thing and Cliff Kingsbury is sitting in front of a Cardinals backdrop. Like that man has, we were talking about posture. That man has posture. Like you would not believe it was like, it was, it was really something to behold. Um, the vibe, uh, the vibe was good. He was pretty calm. It was that one of the more interesting things that, that came up, um, was about that moment, Mallory, that you're bringing up when, Kyler decides, you know what, it's time to go. And we were talking about the balance between the touchdown run and all Mm -hmm. the good stuff that can come of that and the not getting hurt question that for better or, you know, for fair or not fair has Mm -hmm. dogged Kyler. And Cliff just sort of matter of factly goes, he's learned a, 
uh, self-preservation on a level I've never seen on a football. That field. was the book coming out of college too. That no, no, there's a reason he can be that small relative to other quarterbacks, never take any damage and be the first overall pick. He is incredible at it. And it made me think, uh, because the reason that I was a little skeptical, more skeptical than you are certainly about his chances for MVP, even as, you know, kind of a dark horse MVP candidate was that I was worried about their offensive line. And I like to look at the lines as an indicator of who the hype might be coming a little early on. And I thought the Cardinals were a good candidate for that. I was looking at it through the lens of, of the line. And I think there's, you know, still certainly something to that. But when you look at it through the lens of Kyler, he only got, he got hit four times against the 49ers. He was getting the ball out really quickly in general. So that combination of the quick passes, I mean, you see, I'm sure there will be down the line some temptation to use DeAndre Hopkins to make incredible downfield plays and and they should absolutely do that and be electric and exciting. But the discipline and the understanding of what an exceptional player's best skills are to just kind of use him as this amazing chain mover, I thought was really cool and really interesting and really smart, especially for week one. And so that combination with his skill of self-preservation, it did make me rethink that a little bit just in terms of thinking about it from Kyler's perspective, not from the perspective of can this offensive line do it? And Cliff Kingsbury certainly seemed to be on on board with that to an extent. To connect all of the all of the players we're talking about here for a second, this is of course still one of the things that Deshaun Watson has to contend with in Houston is is the protection. He's still getting hit. I mean, he got sacked four times. He got hit seven times in the opener. And, you know, you're mentioning Kyler's ability to preserve his health, Lamar's ability under pressure. I mean, Deshaun Watson has every single skill that you would possibly want in a quarterback and they can't, they can't build the right team around him to protect him and to fully enable his success. Yes. And I I think quarterback, Sacks yeah. can be a quarterback sure. stat as well. I mean, that PFS has done some really, really good studies on and that. And I think sometimes with with Watson, who I love yep. very much, they yeah. are I, on him yes, occasionally. Yes. Not the bulk of them, but sometimes yes. he has a but, tendency to. But his, do it's that also true his offensive much. line just hasn't been good. And they've thrown a lot of resources at it. And yeah. Bill O'Brien seems to still. I mean, the, the biggest frustration with, that I have with Bill O'Brien is he throws resources at stuff and doesn't fix problems. Right. And like, right. that's the sign of someone who maybe should not be building teams. That's all. Last thing on, on young quarterbacks for let you go, Mallory. Mm-hmm. Do you still believe in Baker Mayfield? I, it's getting harder. It's getting harder. I do. I, I have the same reaction that Nora, honestly, that Nora had when you asked Nora this on Sunday, you know, the, the question about who would you choose? Like my gut response to any Baker question has, I'm now on the other side of the seesaw than I was before, but I'm not quite ready yeah. to, to walk away. I don't know though. I mean, the week one was not encouraging, not encouraging. I just watched I feel like- too many Texas tech and Oklahoma games mm-hmm. to, to say that I'm out on Baker yet. It's the, it's the college football fan in me, but getting harder, man. What about you? I'm going to be the last Baker fan. It's going to be me and Baker Mayfield together. I still believe it's not going to be good. Didn't you say that you would take Minshew? Yeah, but that doesn't. I I'm a Minshew fan too. I'm not out on any of these guys. I think that you know I was on. I was listening to an NFL Network thing earlier. He they did a a press conference and Joe Thomas was saying he still believes Baker Mayfield's franchise quarterback. And then Steve Smith talked and 
you know, I think that Steve Smith, Steve Smith kind of went on a kind of a, an amazing rant. Um, I wish I'd actually clipped it about basically how just giving Baker Mayfield power was, was the biggest problem um, that the Browns had. And so they're, I talked to their GM, Andrew Barry, for a piece around on the ringer today. And, the, the, you know, they're, the biggest thing right now is building around the quarterback and giving him every, every chance to succeed. And, you know, Barry's point was, he said, that any front office, their number one job is to find a quarterback. Their number two job is to do everything that they can to support him. And obviously, they're in mode number two right now. And I'm intrigued to see how Barry does that. I'm intrigued to see what that looks like. I'm intrigued to see over 16 games what a good offensive line looks like. And Kevin Stefanski, who's just a better coach, and there's almost no way he can't be than Freddie Kitchen. So I'm not ready to throw it out. He's definitely on a watch list for guys that I'm I'm going to uh, pretend I never liked, but I'm not there yet. Does supporting Baker Mayfield involve Odell Beckham Jr.? I mean, I would hope so, but I, at this point, okay. at this, the problem is that they keep giving him three receptions. They keep giving him three receptions for 22 yards. At some point, Beckham is just going to be like, what the hell is this? And become right. a net negative. I, Odell Beckham is an amazing player. I think that point, um, and I, you know, I, he's an incredible player and I don't begrudge him speaking his mind about it, but he, I believe today said something along the lines of, you know, wanting more snaps so yeah. he could get into a rhythm. So. Or we might be fast approaching that point. If you have Odell Beckham on your team, you should throw him the football. Having Odell Beckham on the team is better than not having Odell Beckham on the team. And from my perspective, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot for that to not be true. Like it takes every, everything off the field for that not to be true. So I'm going to wait and see mode on Baker. I don't know. I just, my general feeling on something is that if you're so good one year and you set the rookie touchdown record, you have the capability to do that, right? Like I was reading some golf book like three months ago. I don't remember what book it was. And they said, if you've ever hit a good golf shot, you're a good golfer. And if you, when you hit a bad golf shot, something is getting in the way of that good shot, right? That's it, right? You're, you, you have the capability. If you have the capability to do it, if there's a proof of concept. That's all you need. And Baker Mayfield has done what very, very, very few rookies have done. And in fact, no rookies have done from a volume standpoint. And so you have to believe somewhere in Baker Mayfield is the capability to do it again. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ability is not the question. The ability to do it in the NFL is not the question. The ability to do it in the NFL with the Browns, amazingly, is not is not the question. It's just about, I guess, sustainability and rediscovering that spark and that confidence and the the the, the ability to mesh with his offense. I mean, you know, a lot of, lot of change, a lot of change in the organization as there so often is in Cleveland. I'd still be more surprised if he ended up not being good than if he ended up being good. Mallory, I'm so glad you jumped in and made a smart point there because as I zone out when men talk about golf. So Kevin, I'm sorry. I that, that was a good point. Thing. I'm sorry. Uh, love golf. Just, it's, it's like a total, you know, just take a little nap. I'll come back when you're done. Golf nap. That was a golf nap. A literal <laughs> yeah, golf nap. Yeah, that's my golf nap. Uh, Mallory Rubin. Kevin Clark. We've gone over because we got too into football. This happens sometimes. I love to I love to chat football with you both. Nora was our first podcast together. It was a joy. Thank you both for having me. Go Ravens. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. 
you need skincare that actually performs. But getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL for a free online visit and start your new skincare routine today. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNFL. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken would like to remind you that it's time for seasonal beers again. That's right. If you thought a cold, crisp summer Heineken was something, just wait until you taste the Heineken fall lineup. Is it a new product? No, just the same great tasting lager that's perfect for any season. I drank Heineken during the entire NBA playoffs. That's starting to wind down now with the conference finals. I'm going to drink it well into football season and into the football playoffs because it is a beer for all seasons. Heineken original lager is made with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all season, all the time kind of beer. So pick up a pack and get it delivered, whatever your style and drink responsibly. All right, Nora, we're going to do the most important things of the week. This will be a midweek regular occurrence, just catching everybody up on the things we find to be the most important developments. What's your first one? Okay, hold on. We have to call these midweek nuggets. I liked it when you did that in Slack. This can be live. We can just use this. Okay. But I want to be on record as being very pro midweek nuggets. as what we call this. Midweek nugs? My first midweek. Midweek nugs. Wow. All right. That made it's me the, really happy. No, anyway, we're keeping this in. Isaiah has to keep this in because we're also <laughs> going to say that Gardner Minshew is a very good quarterback just to let him keep it in. All right. First midweek nug. The 49ers are kind of running out of cornerbacks. Um, yes. Mike Garofolo from NFL Network. He reported on Wednesday that Richard Sherman's going on IR with a calf strain. Not expected to be a super long-term injury, but Jason Fred is already dealing with a hamstring. He didn't practice Wednesday. Akella Witherspoon is also in the concussion protocol. Concussion protocol yeah. So right now they have two healthy cornerbacks. Tim Harris Jr. Um, has Emman- a hamstring injury. Right. So they're down to Emmanuel Mosley and Kawan Williams. And, and Dante Johnson, who's on the practice squad. And then who, they, yeah, who and they, they, and then they signed up. Ken Webster from the Dolphins practice squad. Ken Webster, a former former Patriots practice squad member as well. But you could you could I I it is my job to know football. I feel like I know football very well. You could have given me anything on Ken Webster there and I've been like, absolutely. Sure thing. We used to do a practice squad quiz at the end of oh. the season in New England where you would just write as many players who had come and go on the practice squad as you could remember. And it was hard. Um, but if you could get up to like 20 or so, usually you had a good chance of, of being one of the winners. Anyway, back to the Niners. They managed to make the Super Bowl last year with very bad injury luck. So it's not as if they're not capable of um, overcoming some challenges like this. But one thing that I think is interesting about them is that that's a smart team run by smart people, really well-constructed roster. But they're one of those test cases right now for what happens if you build your defense in the more sort of traditional through the defensive line kind of way. Mm -hmm. And 
the strength of their D-line made life a lot easier on their secondary last year. But at a certain point, if you're putting most of the resources into the front seven and you don't either through luck or just exceptional players having extra exceptional years, that starts to get tested. And I think the 49ers are obviously one of the contenders in in the NFC. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that some week one injuries that are probably mostly going to last for just a few weeks when they play the Jets and Giants in the next two weeks, you know, that's, that's not going to sink anybody's season, but it's the type of thing, um, just because it's hitting a place on their roster that doesn't have a lot of depth to begin with. That is, gives me a little bit of pause. I would say George Kittle is also not practicing this week due to a knee injury. San Francisco, according to Adam Schefter is hopeful. He will play Sunday against the Jets. So Danny Heifetz actually had a great point in Slack. He said all of this, and none of this sounds good. And the Niners are still a touchdown favorite over the New York Jets, which tells you a lot of things. We'll get to the Jets in a second. A lot of things about the New York Jets. We'll get to, I, I don't want to do a Jets rant again. Yeah, and the Niners. Just the fact that they, that people st- just believe in the franchise generally, even, even though they're, that you and I might be playing cornerback for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is not going to be a good cornerback situation. I would say playing Sam Darnold and Adam Gase is it, it's a good time. Uh, to have that them on the schedule. But I'd also say that Richard Sherman going on short-term IR, I don't know. I mean, this is it, it, both, of the, it's a flare-up of an old injury. Um, it is, uh, there was some optimism from the insiders who were reporting it, but I just, ugh, I, I don't know. I'm getting real worried. After seeing them Sunday when, when um, they played a very strange game against the Cardinals, now they're dealing with injuries. I had this team going to the Super Bowl. I still have them going to the Super Bowl. Um, but this is the kind of bad luck that um, starts piling up that that turns great teams into teams that are that are struggling a little bit. Well, and with Sherman, he played out of his mind last year. Yeah. So if we're talking about defense that has a great front and had guys on the back end who weren't being asked to do a ton, that's more so because they had at least one corner who was having a fantastic season. Now he's still on the quote unquote wrong side of 30. And if you're having an old flare up of an old injury, that's not a great combination. And there is the thing that's concerning about it to me is, you know, it's, I'm not worried they're going to lose to the jets. It's just the potential for a domino effect. Yeah, that's it. First of all, at some point, the injuries become so bad that you are worried about them losing to the jets. I don't think we're there yet. I also think that generally their, their schedule is pretty easy. So they have the Jets, they have the Giants, they have the Eagles, who are, I, they had a, a similarly strange week one loss. We'll, we'll just put a pin in, in that franchise for a second and, and just see what they are by October 4th. Then they have the Dolphins, okay? Then they get things get a little hairy in October, Rams, Patriots, Seahawks. But if you were to draw up a schedule to start having some bad injury luck, it would be Jets, Giants, Dolphins in a four-game span. And so uh, the flip side of that is if they lose some of these games, we sort of know what they are, but I don't know. I mean, this is, it seems like they're getting some bad luck that's mixed with, with a nice time to have bad luck. That's all. Um, all right. Speaking of injury news, Michael Thomas is going to be out several weeks. The high ankle uh, injury is considered worse than initially thought. Michael Thomas last year had the highest percentage of team targets, receptions and receiving yards in 2019. He is a beast. 
Uh, he is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, including Sean Payton and Brees himself, that Drew Brees is still as efficient as he is. He's the reason that the Drew Brees looks downfield very rarely and yet is still a, a top-tier quarterback. And I think that this is a big deal. Now, Sean Payton is on my list with Bill Belichick as you're almost intrigued to see what happens when someone misses, when there's an injury that might be a month because they're going to come up with some stuff that you're not anticipating. And I think, you know, you got Alvin Kamara, give him that big contract. He's, he's, his hold in is obviously over. Um, I, I liked what I saw on Sunday against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have Emmanuel Sanders. They have, they have Taysom Hill, maybe give Taysom Hill a little more work. Uh, I'm just, I, I, I think this is a big deal from a, a roster construction standpoint to have Michael Thomas out a matter of weeks or, or maybe a month, whatever. But I also think that th- when a coach like Sean Payton changes the way a team has to play, that can sometimes be not a good thing, but an intriguing thing. One of the things that was, was sort of a cool outside possibility this season, I thought was, you know, does Michael Thomas have a chance to get to 2000 yards in the last season before they go to 17 games? Right. And that's just a fun thing to think about, but it's also he's really good and they use him a lot. Yep. So it's hard to overstate just how much, how much volume, how much in terms of how they've built you're taking away without him. Like you, I, I trust Peyton in, in that spot. And I'm sure maybe this is when we're going to find out what Taysom Hill is, is really this all is about. It. This was the long game. This is why you give him 21 million bucks. Everyone, all these, all these coaches are just playing incredibly long, long games. Absolutely. Not as long as Pete Carroll's. Forty-seven but... yard, forty-seven year established the run career. Yeah. The entire career devoted yeah. to establishing the run before they let Russ cook. Yeah, but but Sean Payton's just um, slightly, just a couple years mm-hmm. uh, with the with the Taysom Hill long mm-hmm. game, but where maybe we'll see it pay off. I think their their defense. You know, they kind of went they went through this last year um, when Breeze was out of having a stretch where they needed their defense to keep them in games. And I would default to trusting that they will be able to do that. But that's, if you made a list of players who taking them away for a stretch like that would be an issue. Michael Thomas would be on that list. Agree with you. All right. What's your number two? So I don't, you, you probably saw analytics, Twitter (laughs) eating itself alive. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and when, when I don't know what you're about to say, but the answer is I've seen an, a, a number of things yes. that can be described that way. So ESPN, um, Seth Walter and Brian Burke oh, uh, yeah. came up with a new metric called run stop win rate. Seth Walter and Brian Burke can both be described as my guys. Heck yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool. It's really cool stuff. It's like pass rush win rate, but it's for the running game. And their, their findings had Aaron Donald as a slightly below average run defender. And people weren't happy. They were not. And again, we can we can talk about people being mad online until the cows come home. And I don't think that we really need to do that. But what I do want to talk about is that the Rams seem to have noticed yes. this. And um, I was just reading some some tweets and some quotes uh, from Brandon Staley, their DC. Uh, this is from Jordan Roderick of The Athletic. And she's paraphrasing Staley here, but she said... Another friend of the pod. Just everybody. We're a big tent here. We are a big tent here at the Ringer NFL show. Go ahead. Um, 
So Staley said, and again, Jordan's paraphrasing, but she has him saying, I thought Aaron was also excellent against the run. Some of the things he did against the run helped us contain one of the best backs in the league. And Sean McVay also said that the run defense thing had no merit to him and blah, 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 blah. But it's just fun to me to see a team kind of acknowledge an outside, quote unquote, outside story and be making little passive aggressive comments about that. I don't think it has anything to do with what Aaron Donald is going to do against the run. I mean, they played the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott had 96 yards. Like that's not spectacular by his standards, but it was fine. Um, But I just like, I like that vibe a little bit. I like that they're sort of needling guys about stuff. Um, So I'm always there for a little, little passive aggression. And Brandon Staley, come on down in the name of Aaron Donald. Absolutely. I like the fact. So I I feel like NFL players were the last group to get really connected on social media. And I feel like you know this from covering the league. There's this feeling that like, oh, whatever happens outside this locker room doesn't matter or whatever. Whereas other sports, whether that's the NBA, whether that's soccer, whether global soccer, whatever. I feel like there was much more of a reaction if something was big on social media, you know, an NBA player, you know, we've seen this many, we're seeing it right now at the playoffs where literally in Instagram comments, players are going at each other. Right. And I feel like that, that hasn't happened until the last couple of years with the NFL. And I kind of like it. I kind of like the idea that, that Brian Burke could come up with something about Aaron Donald and the players themselves are responding to it, whether that's in, in, in actual interviews or online. So I think it's cool to see. I think it's going to help fans to, to have that be more reactive. Cause I feel like, again, I think five, 10 years ago when, you know, the NBA was setting social media on fire, I think the NFL, uh, they just weren't, they just didn't want that. Coaches didn't want that coaches. You know, there's a reason that college football coaches tried to ban all social media, right? No distractions, which is means anything they don't like. Right. And so I think that I'm, I'm in agreement with you anytime we, we, this is a pro shade podcast. Love it. Pettiness. What's your next one? All right. Um, I, my matchup of the week here, and this is not, this is not a midweek nugget sort of, this will not be a recurring theme, but I really want to see Sunday Night Football, Pete Carroll making adjustments against Cam Newton now that we've seen what amounts to, I saw on Pro Football Talk this morning, essentially they said that there were 13 opportunities for Cam Newton to run the ball from a design standpoint, so an option or, or, or an actual design right. run. And I'm intrigued to see Pete Carroll making adjustments, how he reckons with that, now that we know what this looks like, now that we know what the blocking schemes are, are, are going to look like. And, you know, I, I think without preseason, there were probably not the Belichick would ever show anything in preseason, but there was just no anything. Um, there was no evidence, no proof of concept on what Cam was going to look like in a Patriots uniform. Now we know. And that's when you have Jamal Adams in the field, when you have, and again, this is not the Legion of Boom out there, but I just like seeing good defensive minds go against innovative offenses and that's what you're going to get on Sunday night. It's interesting that you say that because I was, um, I've been in the process of reporting a story that I think will come out on Friday, uh, just about looking at the quality of play in week one, sure. what might've been different or not different. Hold, holding calls way down. And way down that that's in the piece. Kevin. Hey, but one of the things that I learned in reporting it that I thought was most interesting was that there were a lot of people and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil 
everything because then people can read it. They but sure um, the idea that advanced scouting was really, really impacted because there was nothing to advance scout, right? So one of the first things that you do if you're doing an advanced scouting report is you look for certain roles. Mm-hmm. So you look for who's the third down back, who are the situational pass rushers. And now we might know that in certain situations, like you don't really need a preseason to know that James White is the Patriots third down back. But in a lot of cases, that was something that coaches, personnel guys actually felt was different this year because of the lack of preseason and because they had less, they had fewer opportunities to get to know other teams. And a lot of people used that as a reason that they were thinking week two is going to look different from week one. And the quality of playing in week one was pretty good. You know, the football looks like football, but that, you know, the 200 level of that is getting more into the schematic decisions that Pete Carroll is going to get to do with the Patriots. Um, now the Patriots of course are on their usual tack of saying, well, no, this isn't a, this isn't a, we haven't ripped up the playbook. I think Josh McDaniel said something about the way that we played against the dolphins was just because of the dolphins and we're going to change based on opponent. I would, I would say having watched that team for many years and then watching them on Sunday, it was too different. Um, if anyone tells you that wasn't a wholesale shift in how they played offensive football, they are lying to you. No offense, Josh McDaniels, who I think is wonderful. Um, so yeah, what the Seahawks do. I mean, Pete Carroll knows that team super well. He knows Bill Belichick super well. Uh, it'll be a really cool game. I think, you know, there's a lot of Patriots optimism. I, it's going to be different playing Seattle than it is Miami, but that's a cool meeting of the minds that we're talking about. Yep. Can't wait to see it. Uh, do you have a third one? Yeah. Well, Wow, we're kind of still in in um, Patriots land ish or former Patriots land. But so Matt Patricia, um, the Lions have blown 11 fourth quarter leads since Matt Patricia became their head coach. Fantastic. And I don't want to make this the like Kevin and Nora dunk on Matt Patricia happy hour. Well, like that's not. We're an hour a, into this podcast. We can we can do whatever <laughs> we have. We have full creative control and can just take take it towards do 45 minutes on Matt Patricia. It's a hard thing to become an NFL head coach. I have seen first person players talking about, you know, enjoying learning from him, but he just he makes it hard sometimes. And he made it pretty hard on Sunday because they blow another fourth quarter lead. And he's asked after that loss to the Bears if there's something that's happening in his coaching that isn't happening enough in the fourth quarter, is affecting the fourth quarter. And he says, this is the quote, yeah, I don't think so. I think I got probably one of the biggest plays in the fourth quarter in the history of the NFL. And that's a reference to the Malcolm Butler interception against the Seahawks Great. in the Super Bowl. Great. Congratulations which on was that one, Matt Patricia. Five years ago. And crucially, then, there was a documentary made about it that pretty clearly Brian showed Flores pretty clearly showed that he was not responsible for it, or if he was, it was just sort of incidental. So yeah, I mean, one Malcolm Butler was responsible for it, but there's also you see in in that clip that we're talking I'm about saying, Brian a, Flores from, shouting Malcolm go. Well, also the no timeout thing with Bill Belichick, like the, there's like that the do your job thing shows how you know kind of the victory as many fathers thing 
shows a lot of people responsible for, for that particular play. And by the way, one of them is Pete Carroll. But anyway, uh, Matt Patricia is not high on this list of contributors to this particular play. And even if he was, even if he was, it was one play five years ago and you were a bad defensive coordinator. And he's 9.33 as the coach of the Lions. And I just... 23, I think. Don't, don't, don't add 10 losses to Matt Patricia's record. Nine of 33 oh, is nine, what I I'm sorry. He's making it harder than it has to be, is what I'm saying here. Absolutely. And I think I'm still sort of mourning a little bit of the, the Lions optimism that we had going. Ah, wasn't mine. It wasn't my optimism. It's Matthew Stafford wishful and thinking. Well, isn't that the same thing? I don't know. Matt Patricia's a bad coach, man. And, and, and you know, what I was, you almost want to laugh when I looked out the most positive graded throws to look at Lamar Jackson being number one, Mitchell Trubisky was number two. And if you're the defensive mind head coach and you let Mitchell Trubisky do that, it's time to get back in the lab, man. Uh, I just don't know what he does. Uh, and you know, again, I said it when, when Shokapati was on this show, um, and, and all three of us talking about it, I just hate watching this team. There's just nothing, nothing to recommend them. So it's a bad, it's not a good like team building. It's not a good locker room strategy to be like talking about what you did five years ago. With that's another so team. great, but it's also with another team that a player did like, that's not a great way to, you know, get players to respect coaching, but he also he made bad in-game decisions in this game too. They kicked a field goal. They kicked a, a tried coach. to kick a 55-yard field goal up 10. Bears end up getting great field position when that's no good. And they use it to score. Sure, like DeAndre Swift dropped the pass, but there were things in that game that were Matt Patricia decisions that didn't go well. So double whammy. It's just a bad coach. Um, I will say this, you know, you, you said it's it's a harder, it's a hard job to have, obviously. I think about Patricia in the same way I think about someone like Nathan Peterman, which is they're both just got off with their jobs. But it's actually kind of incredible how good they had to be to get to be the worst at their jobs, right? Like Nathan Peterman torched Clemson in college. Right. And like probably looks pretty good in a practice. But then he gets to the NFL and he looks like maybe the worst quarterback I've ever seen play. And Matt Patricia is not the worst coach I've ever seen. I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying it really is amazing. One thing that's amazing about professional football is just that little zone where you're good enough to be the defensive coordinator of the Patriots and win a Super Bowl, even if you weren't even that good. But once you just start coaching a team, it's just not there. Again, huge differences between where Peterman ranks among quarterbacks and where Patricia ranks among coaches all time. But I'm just saying... Both bad at their jobs, but being bad in the NFL is is all relative. Matt Patricia would torch like Texas high school football. Totally, he would just scheme them scheme them out of their forty thousand seat stadiums. He'd probably be really like he'd enjoy that. He probably enjoys coaching the Lions more. College different deal, but I think I think Texas high school football. Matt Patricia would just dunk on every. It'd be like when get Brian Scalabrini to play that pickup ball. All right. Exactly like that. Yep. All right. Uh, my last one, Frank Gore. Not much to say. Starting on Sunday against the 49ers. It, the one good thing Adam Gase does well is employ Frank Gore. Uh, took a year off last year when Gore was in Buffalo. Adam Gase wasn't able to bring him in. But uh, I love Frank Gore. Did a piece on him last year. Got to know him a little bit. Got to know the people around him. Uh, this is a guy who's just, you know, his son now plays for, for Southern Miss. He said he cried watching it. Obviously, he can't 
really get down there um, on a regular basis because of all the, the travel restrictions and all that stuff. But he's 37 years old at a position where everyone thinks you're done at 30. He's starting on Sunday. He's not particularly good as a running back right now. Um, six attempts for 24 yards last week. But if I can have Frank Gore on my roster, I'm going to do it. It's cool that he's getting the start. The Jets are a tire fire. But I, it, again, they do one thing well right now, and it's have Frank Gore on the team. Uh, all right, Nora, this has been fun. Midweek Nugs. Joe Buck is next. Joe Buck, Fox, Fox football, Fox baseball, formerly Fox golf. I was a big fan of Fox golf, justice for Fox golf. How you doing? Welcome to Soul News Day, Joe. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, to hear justice for Fox golf really warms my heart. Um, it was a five-year learning curve for me that uh, I think ended on a high note. And have at it, NBC. I'll be watching because uh, I'm off that weekend. So all's good. All right. So you were you were in an empty stadium yesterday for, yeah. I don't know, you did minor league baseball. Was that the first time in your career you've been in an empty stadium? Or have you been to empty-ish stadiums before? Ish, but not like that. Yeah. I mean, you could hear things happening that you really didn't want to hear happening. And it was kind of funny during all the breaks, uh, when we were in commercial break, the same sideline was in front of us. So kind of below us and the seats behind their bench, their practice squad players were sitting in. And, and so they would play whatever music was being played in the stadium and the actual on field players, even some out in the middle of the field, we're saluting and making the practice squad guys sing along with the song. <laughs> it was just surreal. And oh, by the way, you've got two of the most decorated quarterbacks and uh, two quarterbacks who have basically all the records in the yeah. history books playing on the opening weekend. And it, you could hear a pin drop in the place. It was just, it was surreal. During the Champions League final in soccer, Paris played Munich. And in the second half, Munich had Bayern Munich had its players start cheering and it was like five guys like waving towels and the announcer like this is the this is the momentum is shifting it's like it's five guys <laughs> waving towels like that's where we're at now with empty stadiums like this is the guy like banging on the the chair in front of him like this is incredible and it's like you know we used to have full stadiums guys yeah no I I did not uh, take the bait on that one although I'm just so dumb that at the end and I caught myself but I don't know what happened. Uh, maybe it was a call that went against the Saints and the crowd booed when they didn't give Kamara his third touchdown. And I'm like, yeah, the crowd, you know, the crowd does. And then I, the thing went off in my head. I'm like, shit, there's no crowd here. I, I, even though there is no crowd. And uh, I mean, I took the bait like, like the moron that I am. But, uh, you know, I, I think, as I said months ago, Good, smart crowd noise is a necessity yeah. under these broadcasts. And people, you know, well, I, yeah, I'm a tradition. There is no traditionalist for a, how to broadcast sports during a pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. But I, it needs to be there. It needs to be done well. Yeah. I was fascinated. The, the Panthers got booed at home by fake fans yesterday. And it's like, I just would <laughs> love to know the thought. Pro I heard that. I was like, this seems a little aggressive. So I want to yeah. see sort of the, the evolution of, of how this goes. All right. First impressions about Tom Brady yesterday, because I've been of the theory the last couple of months that this is going to be a worse team in September and October than it will be in November to December, because nobody likes precision more than Tom Brady. No one likes 
being able to, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, work him working out in June at UCLA five years ago. And if a throw is half an inch off the line, he's pissed off at himself. I mean, this is a guy who needs every step of the way in the offseason. He goes to a place where not only do you not have offseason, you don't have a real padded practice training camp till late August. You just feel like it's a tough time to try anything new. When you see Brady yesterday, do you think this is Brady in 2020? Or do you think there's this team is going to get better as, as the year goes on? Yeah, I, I I really do believe that they'll get better. I, I don't I don't imagine he could have started with more things stacked against him. Uh, the only break he got was playing at New Orleans with no crowd, right. and he didn't have to deal with that. But other than that, I mean, no preseason training camp was weird. You know, you're going through all these uh, jumping through all these hoops for COVID. And it looked like a team that needs work. And we've said it before. It's almost like in New England, and I know the Patriots started with a win. Bill Belichick would take September as kind of training camp preseason extended. And then they would start to hit their stride defensively, offensively. I, I think they've got a long way to go, but I think they've got plenty to play with there and get a lot better. I I think pretty fast, but yeah, it it looked disjointed. It looked off. He and Mike Evans weren't on the same page. Uh, Godwin's a stud. He loves Scotty Miller. Gronkowski didn't look very quick at all. And I, I know that he's, you know, not a quick guy, but he, he wasn't a factor. I think these, he has to get back into football shape, but I think the offense has to gel, but I think they'll get better. When you look at the next 16 weeks, 17 weeks, I feel like because it started last night, they were only doing was Brady or Belichick responsible for the 2007 Patriots or the 2013 Patriots, or the 2014 Patriots. I thought it was funny yesterday. Every time Brady has lost a game in week one, he's made the Super Bowl. Okay. And so that's not just a Brady take. That's a Belichick take. It's what you're talking about where they start slow in September. Do you think there's anything to learn this year when you look at Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, Bill Belichick with Cam Newton about their past success? Or do you see that as as sort of divorced from what we see going forward? And you're just going to how do you view that, I guess? Yeah, I, I think there's so many factors involved uh, that it's it's almost ridiculous to try to you know base what happens in 2020 during the conditions that we're yeah. all under in our own worlds. Uh, and and go back in time and start looking at year by year and saying, well, obviously this was all Brady or obviously this was all Belichick. It makes for interesting call-in show conversation, but I mean, it's impossible to compare what's happening right now in 2020 to 2001. Uh, You know, I mean, I I would say this. I, I think Brady did more with less on offense around him than really for a 12 win team last year than any quarterback has in a long time. And like Troy said yesterday, he, he is smart enough to know that he can ride the defense, not force stuff and win games. I I think he wants to prove now that, that he can still light up a scoreboard. I don't know that he can, but, uh, but we're going to find out here in 2020. But I, I just think, Every season, hell, every week is is kind of a chapter unto itself. Let's get your horoscope. You said you're a Taurus. We've already looked it up here. Here's the, here's the horoscope. You're looking forward to an event, yet dreading it. You're better for having such milestone markers. Embrace the awful excitement. 
That's amazing. That that is speaking directly to me being on this podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That that is that is uh, embrace the awful excitement is probably no, the tagline. That, I would do this. I would do this with you every day. I, I enjoy talking to you. Uh, looking forward to an event, yet dreading it. Um, well, let's see. I'm going to Cleveland on Thursday. Oh wow, Bengals. Bengals Browns Cincinnati the battle for Ohio uh-huh um, is that the I, awful I excitement uh-huh. that's the awful excitement the battle of Ohio yeah I I don't I don't know I'm I I am excited actually to watch Burrow play. me too uh, I I think I saw him for maybe five minutes play in college and uh from everything I read about his debut that was good and I think the Browns are interesting and hopefully can get it going. I don't know what that would be referencing as I think, uh, as I look ahead in my life, um, the Super Bowl's behind me. Yes. That would always be definitely that, that would describe the Super Bowl to me that, that I'm, I love it. It's intense. I'm glad it's only every three years. Um, Maybe uh, the idea of going into a bubble for the baseball postseason, if if they're going to do that. Sounds like they are, yeah. Do you feel like the Super Bowl this year, though, was a little better because you saw Brian Curtis and I when you were walking around? It did give me quite uh, a lift going going into the the booth that day. Yeah. Um, And and Brian just wrote a piece, not to cross-promote here, but uh, Brian just wrote a piece on kind of one of the brains behind my brand so uh about the spotters and the people that make us on tv look smarter than we actually are and did a hell of a job so brian when he came here to my house and interviewed my wife and me and uh this was a few years ago uh was taken by the fact that all i do is curse that's what stuck with me from the piece i don't remember anything else except that he said my wife and i say the word fuck a lot that's access. That is, that is how you use access in journalism. Brian Curtis is a master. Right Just boil it down. Too. Boil it yeah. down to the essence of Joe Buck, which is the F word. Yeah. Oh. which I've played in the Tahoe event with Carson Palmer the first time and, and his brother Jordan. We got off the course and he's like, how do you not curse in the booth? I, because yeah. I don't have golf club, a golf club in my hand. There you go. Like, yeah, no, I, I am. A, you have it much worse than I am because you're talking constantly. I am so shocked I've never cursed in any sort of like live radio hit, you know, you're just kind of, you're on the phone with some guy in San Diego for 10 minutes and you're just like, Oh, the Browns. And I, I the fact that I've never said the F word is, is a minor miracle for me. And I couldn't imagine yeah, what it's like I, for you. I just feel like, you know, once you walk in that booth and maybe it's from having grown up in a broadcast booth with my dad being two seats over and maybe being a little kid knowing that I can't really talk when I, when I was a little boy and not wanting to get kicked out of the room by my dad. <laughs> once I walk in the booth, I'm a different human being. But when I'm away, I curse like a, you know, I guess sailors curse a lot. Sailors curse a lot. Like a sailor. Sailor. I don't, you don't even, I, I don't know. I have not met, met a sailor in a very long time. So I don't know if that, that stereotype is true. All right. I, I, I think they get a bad rap. I agree with that. Joe Buck, you are one of my favorite people in media. I cannot thank you enough for coming on Slow News Day. Uh, I, I'm honored, and uh, I'll talk to you anytime. I think you look better without the mustache. No, no. But well, okay. I will say this is two weeks in a row. Last week, Jeff Fisher nailed me to the wall in the mustache thing, and he's a mustache aficionado. 
Well, he is. And now you're saying, and I have a tremendous respect for you, and I think my wife hates it. So I'm really and up I against it. My wife was going to hate it. I mean, look, let's celebrate that. Here, I need to grow a mustache. It's why, from time to time, and this was part of the thing in the in the Curtis piece, I will grow a beard or a mustache or whatever to try to take focus off my hairline. You on the other hand, are flowing. So I, I would not, if I'm you and I'm your stylist, I say, look, I like the, the no structured jacket. I like the undone tie. Everything's going good there. Let's not take the focus off the fact that everybody like me who's balding or should be bald without uh, augmentation, yeah. it, you don't, I don't want to look at your upper lip. I want to, I, I want to gaze at your golden locks. Have you thought about going into being a stylist? This has been pretty good. I feel better about this whole thing now. It's a backup plan of mine that uh, I'm, I'm just waiting for my personal cancellation and then I'm going to go into that. <laughs> Joe Buck, justice for Fox Golf, buddy. Yeah, I like it. I, I'm going to get t-shirts made up and buttons. Do they still do buttons? I'm going to pass those <laughs> They can out. now. There's a button guy who's dying for work somewhere oh, and he'd love to God. make justice for Fox Golf. Yes, Justice for Fox Golf. Here, Justin, will you wear this? What? Yeah, okay. Joe, <laughs> thank you so much, man. This was amazing. All right, it was fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, awesome.